as long as you're scrolling through your phone, checking out your friend's latest Instagram post, take a moment to download the Radio Parami app. Take the app with you wherever you are and whatever you're doing. Stay updated with top and bottom of the hour news and the latest weather forecast. Plus, you can listen live to local talk shows, nationally syndicated programs, and listen to previous interviews you might have missed, all in crystal clear digital audio. It's called the Radio Potomy app. Find it in your Google Play or Apple App Store from your friends at News Talk 710KURV. This is an encore presentation of the 956 Drive Home on News Talk 710KURV and KURV.com. Here's Zach. It's time we get a check of real estate from the McAllen area. And I want to welcome our guest back to the show, uh, Lee Jinx from Greater McAllen Realtors, joining us on your 956 Drive Home. So how are things in McAllen right now? Good afternoon, gentlemen. Uh, things are great in McAllen. How about on the real estate market? How are we doing? Real estate market still doing well. Uh, things have slowed a bit. Um, I know prices are still quite a bit higher than they were a year ago, but uh, the amount of increase has slowed quite a bit. So that's got people nervous. And then you add in the increased uh, interest rates. Again, it causes people to be a little bit nervous. But we still have a lot of demand for real estate, and so that's holding the uh, the market uh, firm at the moment. I don't see anything uh, too scary coming down the pike. What kind of a year have we had so far in McAllen Real Estate? <laughs> so um, the thing about real estate is that we're always in change. I, you know, I've been in real estate for over 35 years, uh, and I don't know that I've ever seen a market just ever repeat itself. So it's always new. Something's always uh, coming up that's different than it was before. Technology, of course, is a huge uh, factor in all of that. But as far as the real estate market goes for this year, um, you know, we saw a very, very strong year at the very beginning of the year where um, prices were just going up much faster than they probably ought to, at least it, uh, a lot faster than it would be comfortable for any buyers. But um, as we got through or into the summer, uh, I thought I started to see that those prices started to uh, uh, soften just a little bit. And I say soften a little bit in that they just weren't going up as fast. They're still going up. Um, and then I'm also doing a lot of uh, rentals and stuff. And I'm and before we saw almost no vacancy, and now we're starting to see a little bit of vacancy in the rental market as well. Oh, it's opening up, huh? Uh, Lee Jinx with Greater McAllen Realtors, our guest on your nine five six drive home. Davis Rankin, your question. Yeah, I got uh, two. Uh, what's the uh, what, what's the average rate or the normal rate for a mortgage? Let's say a thirty year mortgage. For someone with decent credit, uh, number one and number two, what's uh, what, uh, what's rental rates now? If 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 that can be answered, and that's and hard. Both of those are hard. Well, for one, I haven't actually looked at the rental. I mean, the the mortgage rates today. Um, okay. When I got into real estate in the eighties, um, the prime rate was twelve percent. We saw eighteen and twenty percent uh, mortgage rates as a norm. Yeah. So when I see mortgage rates in the in the five or six percent range, I go, <laughs> "Oh, well, that's pretty nice." <laughs> um, but w- since we've had historic lows of two and three percent interest rates over the last several years, 
um, when people yeah. see a 5% rate, it, it kind of freaks them out. So uh, it just doesn't bother me, I guess, as much as it does uh, somebody who's not been <laughs> in this market for as long as I have. You, you tell them to quit whining? Um, <laughs> and, say again? You tell them to quit whining? You don't know how good you have it? So that kind of thing. Exactly. Stop whining. Stop your whining. Um, and then on the rental rates, um, I just had a, a lady call me this afternoon. She's got a, a three-bedroom uh, and I think it's about 1,200 square feet. It's a, it's part of a fourplex, so it's it's not a single family or you know a single family uh, dwelling like that. But uh, she's still asking $1,500. And I started thinking about that date today, going, ooh, when I got into real estate, that same unit probably would have rented for $500. So of course, I guess I've been well. No, I don't even mean in the 80s. I mean How old in are the you? mid 90s, it would have been 500. I'm 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 almost I'm approaching 60, I guess. You don't have to answer that, but you've already done it. So don't listen okay. to him. <laughs> well, I, I I remember when Davis interest rates bait you. Okay, I had a no. I'm just, uh, I had a friend who <laughs> borrowed money at eighteen percent to go into business, and the business failed. Mm-hmm. It wasn't long after that that Ooh. interest rates came down. But uh, what? And I guess I don't know. I I don't know what to think. I look at. Uh, the average home price now, if there is such a thing, and how in the hell do people afford that? Um, so let's pick a, if you can do this in your head, and I, we didn't warn you, what's the average price of a home if, if there is such a thing? And then um, what, what would the, what would the uh, monthly uh, payment be? Tax, Todd, and license. And realize you're yeah. caught flat footed. Okay. Well, and, and I can give you kind of some rule of thumbs. Um, uh, back to trying to answer your question about how rates have gone up. Um, I think we started a year ago with a one-bedroom unit at about a thousand dollars a month, which I thought was very, very high. Today, it's closer to eleven hundred dollars, and that's just in that one-year po- time frame. Uh, so things have kind of are still climbing, and even now still climbing. Though I guess if you see a, a lot of um, a, a lot of vacancy, you're going to start seeing those rates coming down. Average price of homes uh, was in the, about the 250 range uh, about a year ago. Today we're in the uh, 280 range, and that's just in the McAllen area. When you say average, you know you have to decide. Well, yeah. uh, you know, where, what are my confines? And I, I think what we're talking about is Dalgo County or the Valley, at least. Um, Le- probably in the yeah. two, 280 range, still pretty high. And then mortgage rates. Once you've got um, um, uh, interest, principal, tax, and uh, insurance in there, what we call PITI, um, you can pretty much estimate about 1% of the sales price is going to be your loan amount. Of course, that's, there's a lot of factors involved, but that if you're just trying to get a rule of thumb, so $2,800 for that house um, each month, that to me sounds like a lot of money, but that's what you have to do to buy a house in, in today's market. Lee Jinx is with Greater McAllen Realtors. We're getting a real estate update. He's our guest on your 956 Drive Home. Are you able to comment on if we are getting any out-of-towners making inquiries and purchases? Well, just from my own personal experience, uh, but I don't know that it's been more out-of-towners than have been in the past. Uh, Mexican Nationals has been a a pretty strong um, factor in our market for uh, quite some time, and I'm still aware that that's, that's still happening but people from up north and and from the east and the west coast uh they're all still moving here just about at the same rate as i've seen in the last oh maybe five to ten years 
as far as our inventory for housing is concerned, you had mentioned that rentals are slowly but surely kind of opening up a little bit, but for um, uh, what kind of homes are people searching for right now and what is on what is on hand? Well, each, you know, obviously each person is looking for their own individual. So it, the answer to that question is depends on who your buyer is. Um, but generally speaking, if you're, if you've got a, um, a three bedroom, two bath in a reasonable uh, price range, in other words, let's say below 300,000, we're still, um, a pretty swift moving market. You get above that and you've got a lot fewer buyers. And so it'll stay on the market a little bit longer, but that's uh, pretty historic. That's just kind of the way it it, it generally happens. Um, Then you asked about a little bit about the market and how we're doing in terms of inventory. We look at a a factor called months of inventory to kind of help us gauge what the market's been doing. Um, Prior to uh, this incredible or insane market that we've had, 12 to 15 months of inventory was pretty typical for the valley, which is not doesn't sound good, but that's actually a fairly normal uh, market for us. However, um, the the balanced market is considered six months of inventory, meaning balance between buyers and sellers, uh, or a buyer's or seller's market. Um, we are Texas-wide, uh, we're below, we were below two months of inventory for a while. Now we're a little above two months, probably closer to three months. And in the valley, we're looking at... Um, just under four months of inventory, like 3.7 months of inventory. So that's still a very um, um, low inventory market for us to have to try to find houses for our buyers, but it's better than it was. Lee Jinks is with Greater McAllen Realtors. He's our guest on your 956 drive home. We're getting a, a real estate update right now. And uh, for, for those of us, myself included, that aren't familiar with kind of the ebb and flow of, of the markets and things like that. Is it, can it be seasonal at times? Like we're hitting the, the winter months and does, does any of that matter? It does matter. Uh, now this year didn't seem to follow that, that plan or that uh, seasonal um, uh, shift as it usually does. But what we normally see is um, in the spring, we'll start to see the market uh, um, pick up a little bit, see more and more numbers of sales all the way through, uh, let's say spring break or uh, spring break or Easter timeframe, it'll dip down just a little bit and then begin to climb through the summer into about September. And then from September through the end of the year, it'll typically taper off. So that's, that's a normal, if you were to average out several years in a row, you'd start to see that type of, um, uh, inventory and, or I'm sorry, the numbers of sales. However, each and in each, year is going to have its own uh, season. So you're, you, you don't know exactly what's going to happen. You can't predict it um, perfectly. But uh, traditionally, like I say, the, the summer months are the, uh, the months where most of our sales occur, and then it kind of tapers off tor- throughout the end of the year. Wow, interesting. I didn't know that. Uh, as far as the, I, I got about a minute here, but as far as outlook uh, for the McAllen area, positive outlook? I think so. Yes, things like we—I think just based on what we've already seen, uh, it has tapered off a little bit in terms of the amount of growth. But um, yeah, there, we don't see any reason why the market's not going to continue to be strong like it has been. Um, uh, it won't be the same market, but uh, I still think it's going to be—it's uh, going to be better than what some have been concerned with in terms of a down market. I don't think we're going to see that. 
I'm happy to hear that. Thanks a lot for stopping by and giving us some of your time here today. That's Lee Jenks with Greater McAllen Realtors joining us on News Talk 710 KURV. This is the 956 Drive Home. You're listening to an encore presentation of the 956 Drive Home on News Talk 710 KURV and KURV.com. As long as you're scrolling through your phone, checking out your friend's latest Instagram post, take a moment to download the Radio Parami app. Take the app with you wherever you are and whatever you're doing. Stay updated with top and bottom of the hour news and the latest weather forecast. Plus, you can listen live to local talk shows, nationally syndicated programs, and listen to previous interviews you might have missed, all in crystal clear digital audio. It's called the Radio Potomy app. Find it in your Google Play or Apple App Store from your friends at News Talk 710 KURV. This is an encore presentation of the 956 Drive Home on News Talk 710 KURV and KURV.com. Here's Zach. There is a credit card sales code that might be complicating things for gun purchases. How does it work? Is it intrusive? The answer may shock you, and I'm being sarcastic. Joining us on 710-KURV, Cody Wisniewski is the director of Mountain State's Legal Foundation Center to Keep and Bear Arms, among other things. Uh, our guest on your 956 drive home. So tell us about this plan, this this uh, this plan for the credit card giants to keep track of gun purchases. Absolutely. Thank you for having me on. Um one quick note, I'm actually the uh, a senior attorney for constitutional litigation at Firearms Policy Coalition. So, um, but with that, this, this code uh, is essentially a, a code that is tagged to uh, gun stores in the United States. So to kind of dial back to the 10,000 foot view, uh, everything that you do, obviously surprising to no one, is tracked. Uh, when it comes to purchases made with credit and debit cards. But the way that that's tracked is by a code that is applied to the merchant where you buy whatever goods from. Um, Those codes are established by an international standardization organization and then are adopted by various purchasers, uh, banks, credit card companies. So this code uh, is a new code that was lobbied for and established by that international body and has now been adopted by every major credit card processor in the United States, Visa, MasterCard, American Express. And essentially, it recategorizes uh, United States gun stores from being general merchandise to being gun stores so that when that purchase goes through, there will be a tag on the purchase that says whatever it is was purchased at a gun store. Davis Rankin, your question. I know you had a lot on this one. Um, yes, I do. Uh, two questions. Number one, if you pay cash, what, what happens? Number two, um, wh- wh- so what's the big deal about categorizing these purchases? Uh, I mean, as the, so to the first, you know, as they say, cash is king. If you pay cash, there's no specific code tied to that. There's nothing tied to your account. Obviously, okay. all that, that would be seen would be just a cash withdrawal or whatever at any point. Okay. What's the big deal? So the code does, do, doesn't do some things that people are saying, but has dangerous implications that people aren't necessarily talking about. First, it doesn't say, it doesn't tell anybody what you purchased. All it says is that you purchased it from a gun store. So if mm-hmm. you go to, you know, Jim's local guns on the corner and you buy a t-shirt and a bag of coffee, since apparently every gun store has to sell coffee these days. <laughs> uh, 
That black rifle, coated. black rifle coffee. <laughs> it's always <laughs> something, right? I've never seen so much coffee at gun stores in my life, but I guess it makes it convenient. <laughs> um, yeah. But that purchase would be coded as a gun store purchase. So you get this code applied to the transaction, but you didn't buy any guns or ammo. So gun control activists are trying to say that this code says a lot more than it really does because it doesn't give any information there. And that's where the danger comes in. The amount of that data can be used and data can be manipulated is massive in our society where everything has become raw numbers, raw information. And what's really yeah. scary here is, isn't necessarily what the data says, but what people are trying to make the data out to say or what they're, they're saying that they can draw from it. So they're targeting, the reason for the creation of this code, allegedly, was to help target dangerous purchasing trends or dangerous individuals. So who, who's, who said that was the reason? Forgive me. That was the, yeah, that was the reason behind it they were, that, you know, gun control activists were lobbying for this in order yeah. to try and identify those trends. But I, first, they haven't indicated what those trends look like. I don't, I don't know what would make a, you know, a dangerous purchasing trend versus a, a normal, ordinary individual. You know, there's, there's plenty of people in the United States that spend a lot of money on guns and ammo and are just nothing more than peaceable, you know, individuals. Our so guest is... It doesn't... There's nothing to ahead, identify. And Our guest beyond is that, even <laughs> I'm if sorry, I'm stepping on you. Sorry. Even if there was something, um, this doesn't tell them that. This doesn't tell you anything about gun purchases or ammo purchases. It just says who sold you the goods. But this, the uh, alcohol, tobacco, and firearms folks or federal authorities or anybody, really, any law enforcement could come. Who, who could get access to that data could um, come ask you what you did, couldn't they? Yeah, and that's where the big scare, or not scare, but the big concern should be here, where people should be really cautious. You know, private companies can do what private companies can do, but people should be really cautious to watch out of how is the government going to exploit this data, or is yeah. there, are there ways to prevent the government from exploiting this data? You can look at states like California and New York, and you can see, you know, New York is requiring to look at people's social media accounts. California follows a multi-step approach where they register the person, they register the firearm, and they register the seller, so they know everything that's going on. Good Lord. Yeah, so basically, this data, you know, isn't necessarily right now giving a whole lot of information or, you know, all that dangerous in its actual existence. It's the twofold of what are people going to manipulate this data to say, it says, especially when it doesn't, and two, is this data then going to be used by government agencies in order to prompt investigations. I mean, we saw, you know, viral video of ATF checking in on people who purchased multiple firearms uh, in a short period of time. So mm -hmm. that's, the, that's one of the huge concerns here. Joining us on 710 KURV is Cody Wisniewski, a senior attorney for constitutional litigation with Firearms Policy Coalition, our guest on your 956 right home. We're talking about this credit card gun code and how how are they able to tell so say say i kind of text from a friend with a perfect scenario so if i go to an academy or if i go to a dick sporting goods and i buy like a thousand dollars worth of stuff like you know like gym equipment essentially and there just happens to be a gun in in that list of things uh do they go they go by uh an item list of everything and they just code everything individually or what no they would code the entire transaction so as of right now 
um, the understanding seems to be that a lot of those big box stores will remain as general merchandise, which is what all gun stores were before. But that's the understanding um, as of right now. So that doesn't mean that that can't change in the future. The way the system is designed, uh, it would be pretty difficult to have different items uh, through a transaction be coded differently because it just codes the merchant writ large. Um, so if you went and bought you know, something at Academy, then that would probably just generally fall under general merchandise. I, I have a question. The, the um, And I don't know what... Not and I say this affectionately, non-gun nuts or gun owners think, but uh, I suspect that one of the one of the problems people have with this, like me, is I don't trust. I mean, once that information is two two things. Number one, we don't want a list. They we don't want a list of gun owners. We don't want that assembled. People will tell you yeah. ATF probably has that, or that's that's gettable in federal records, maybe even state records, because of the way uh, weapons are required to be purchased, number one, but there's not a list. It would have to be assembled. But the, it's the great fear that someone will compile a list or uh, times will change and soup like, like people in California, I don't know, they're going to get in charge in Washington and by God, they're going to get that list and they're going to, they're going to put the agents on, uh, on, uh, on alert to make sure we don't, I, I don't know what to, thing but the, i'm not sure they appreciate how much suspicion there is yeah absolutely and i think you know the federal government is prohibited from creating a a registry of gun owners you know they have uh digital transfer records for all firearms that they're not allowed to use as a registry uh you know whatever's mm -hmm. going on in that front but you're dead on the, the key here is that this is going to be data that's going to be like uh, amassed and amalgamated over years, decades. And the key there is ensuring that we don't allow government to kind of build that, that bridge between the, that data collection and their, you know, attempts to use that in order to potentially infringe on people's rights. That's one of the most important things here is, you know, like I said, that the code in and of itself isn't necessarily dangerous. It's how is it going to be used? Yeah. How is it going to be sold? And how is it going to be exploited? And watching for that, that, you know, twisting of the data, but also that, that, you know, immediate reaction of government to <laughs> how can we exploit this to make our jobs, uh, air quotes, easier. Yeah. It's a lot of data to be, uh, yeah. collecting and gathering and stockpiling, I guess you could say, for something that, yeah, eventually down the line, the next shoe is going to drop and someday that, that that data might be weaponized against against uh, gun-owning Americans. Interesting stuff. I hope I hope nothing negative comes from all of that. Uh, Cody, thanks a lot for your time and breaking it down for us. Cody Wisniewski, Senior Attorney for Constitutional Litigation with Firearms Policy Coalition, joining us on Newstalk 710-KURV. You're listening to an encore presentation of the 956 Drive Home on News Talk 710-KURV and KURV.com. News Talk 710-KURV. When news breaks, we break in. Breaking news. Stay alert and listen to the weather forecast. We need to be aware and alert to what's going on. Breaking news means it's happening now. We mean now. Breaking
breaking news underway right now. Breaking news on News Talk 710 KURV means we're bringing you the news as it happens. In this particular instance, we are in receipt of information. When news breaks, we'll break in. Count on News Talk 710 KURV and KURV.com. This is an encore presentation of the 956 Drive Home on News Talk 710 KURV and KURV.com. Here's Zach. I'm sure you've all seen him on TV, the negative campaign ad, so-and-so kicks puppies and eats babies and sold his grandmother for $20. That's all. And there's got to be some sort of method to the madness, even though it gets to the point where you kind of want to just tune everything out already. Joining us on 710KURV, somebody who knows Texas, somebody who knows our area, is Anthony Russo, political analyst and host of the Truth Will Set You Free podcast. He's our guest right now on your 956 Drive Home. So is there a method to the madness behind campaign ads? First off, who ate a baby? I missed that one. It was a gruesome crime. <laughs> yeah, the, there is a method to the madness. It's, um, it's, it's just like what we see in movies and, and how the we've just escalated as a population where we've desensitized ourselves and we just continuously need to find more blood in the water uh, to get people activated to vote. The whole point is this. Most people in this country already a decidedly they're decidedly democrat or decidedly republican leading up to the election sometimes they make shifts in their life but it's slim so the key is to actually activate the base and activate the voter and what does that we're driven by fear we need to be there needs to be anger in the actual voter to make sure you get up off the couch and go vote and and that's the formula and that's what unfortunately works we are problem solvers at heart, aren't we? The human race is just so fascinating, right? We need to be presented with problems, and this candidate's going to be the solution to X, Y, Z problem, right? I hadn't it's, thought it's, about It is that. amazing how that works. I love that. But is uh, I got a I got a good, interesting question though. Is there a ratio? Is there like a golden ratio of negative to positive campaign ads? Because it feels like there's a lot more campaign ads, uh, negative campaign ads this time around than usual. Do you feel mm-hmm. that way or no? Well, I feel like it's like a, that, that's the line that we say going into Christmas. I feel like Christmas started earlier this year, like beginning of November. Like this election, I feel like it's more negative. I think in the last several, I think since the Hillary Clinton uh, uh, Trump election, I think they're, they've all been pretty equally awful in terms of how we, we they, they shame each other and find all the nitpicky stuff. I don't think things have gotten worse. I just think after two years, we forget and then we see it again. We're like this year has got to be worse. I just think we've devolved <laughs> as people and uh, unfortunately that's what we see but i here here's what i've been saying in terms of this can, people keep asking can there be a positive campaign that works and honestly i we don't know because there hasn't been one that's been successful and just like the the four minute mile with roger bannister nobody knows they can do it until somebody wins doing it so I think that we're going to have to see somebody give it a shot at one point and and it actually has to work uh but in in the meantime I don't think this is any any worse than than 2020 at all. Uh, I just think it's it's just in our face right now, and, and and there's a lot on the line. So it's it's an emotional point for us. Our guest on your 956 drive home is political analyst Anthony Russo. He is the host of the Truth Will Set You Free podcast, and we're talking about negative campaign ads right now. I'll, I'm going to ask a question, then kick it over to you, Davey. So mm-hmm. get yours ready. When it comes to negative campaign ads, has the topic selection kind of changed? And, and let me explain what I mean. Is it more about just 
personal attacks uh, like i said the the mom the selling the grandmother for twenty dollars the eating the babies the kicking the puppies versus rather actual policy things and and things that they've said see i actually think it switched i think it did used to be kind of more like look at what this this guy put his grandmother on the street i think it was more that in the past i think this year they're finding the platform uh, uh speaking points like the abortion topic, Roe versus Wade, or they're finding the gun topic. Uh, like Texas, for example, just they, they're just slamming Abbott and how he handled the Uvalde situation. I think they're finding that and essentially blaming the other politician on their lack of or causation of, uh, of, an, uh, of an event. I think it's, a, it's more misinformation the way that they're attacking people instead of direct personal attacks. I think that would be the one difference that I've seen in this election cycle. Davis Rankin, your question. Is there research that shows uh, a difference between uh, my opponent's a suck egg mule and he doesn't love Jesus? And uh, I've, I've heard one on our station for a woman running for the legislature, and they say her opponent, was it her opponent? Um, her opponent's uh, business is a, a pyramid scheme. And I, which is a pretty tough um, accusation. I mean, I, I don't, I don't know if that's illegal, but it's um, it's it's not Why cool, would? right, to do that. So, is there a difference in in how uh, that we know about that how people respond to this? Um, well, interestingly enough, there's a professor of marketing at Emory's uh, Emory's Business School. It says campaign ads actually do not persuade voters to switch sides. Instead, it again, like I oh. mentioned in the beginning, oh. it revs up the candidate's base to go vote. So, is there any okay. actual research uh, directed to that? I, I honestly don't know. I I can't imagine. I mean, I'm sure they do polling data and small and small uh, focus groups, but I just I see it. Uh, I don't see any research to direct directly seeing that. To be honest. I would think that if you actually knew something that your opponent had done that was nefarious or crooked or just obviously um, immoral, that that would be that would move people. That would change change votes. But I, well, I look at what's go, look at what's going on in Georgia. I mean, they uh, Herschel oh. Walker is somehow yeah. still still trending, and I still would vote for <laughs> Herschel as opposed to Warnock. But Herschel has done everything he possibly could to lose that race, and he's still yeah. trending upward right now, which which kind of shows. And they they attacked the heck out of his his personal character after oh, everything yeah. came out, and it didn't it didn't necessarily work. Uh, so his I, mother I came out against him. I, I don't know. Well, uh, we're speaking with Anthony Russo, political analyst and host of the Truth Will Set You Free podcast. These are guests on your 956 drive home. Is there any danger of attack ads backfiring? And I'll give you an example of what I mean. Now, I don't know if you're a wrestling fan, but back in the 90s, it was the what they called the Monday Night Wars, WCW versus the WWF at the time. And uh, the mm -hmm. WWF were recording all of their shows, and they would send some guy to record all the results and announce them, the WCW, on their show so nobody would watch the WWF. Well, one day, one of the announcers says, it's going to be, I think it was like Mick Foley against The Rock, and Mick Foley's going to win the championship. Yeah, that'll put butts in the seats, sarcastically, and then everybody immediately just like flipped the switch from one station to the next and just, it completely backfired on them. Because we like The Rock. Any That's examples why. of, of, yeah. of uh, negative campaign ads just backfiring on people? Yeah. God, I'm trying to think of the, and off the top of my head. Um, there's some that are just so over I, the top it, it backfires on Or what would it take for a negative attack ad to backfire on somebody? 
Well, like right now, I'll, I'll use Oz. I think Oz has done a great job being actually positive in the last couple of months. And again, not a huge fan of Oz, much than a candidate than Fetterman. Um, with or without the stroke, he's a better candidate than Fetterman. But the weird thing with, with, uh, with Oz is he's been positive without attacking because if he were to attack Fetterman's uh, uh, cognitive ability, which is valid right now, it did start to backfire for him about three weeks ago. It stalled his progress. Um, and even though we can all see that it's an issue, they found it to be an ableist statement. So sometimes if you're slamming somebody oh. that can be deemed as you know, a, a disability of some kind, maybe that can backfire. Wait. I think some of the campaign ads against Biden backfired against Trump, even, well, even though we can question any election result we want right now. But I think some of those backfired saying, you know, he's a nice guy who cares if he's a little slower. And I, 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 that's all I can think of at the top of my head, but I, I cannot, yeah. I, I cannot think of one that ultimately, ultimately backfires. So you can, you hey, can overdo, about, you can overdo it to the point where it backfires. Yeah. I suppose. Yeah. There what, you go. What I about, think that's the best uh, way to describe it. What about legal implications behind any of the claims that are that yeah. are broadcast in a attack ad? Yeah. Well, that so this is an interesting thought. So in da Dallas Morning News did an article about a third party company called Could Have Been Worse LLC. So sometimes <laughs> when you start to get really ugly, there's <laughs> these random LLCs that they've dumped twenty five million dollars into ads against Greg Abbott and other Republicans, um, and and they've somehow managed to get outside of the ethics. Uh, committees where they don't actually have to say who their donors uh, to that charity is. That's where some of the really ugly stuff comes in. And I yeah. think that that's why it's, it's kind of a dark web of, uh, of misinformation, disinformation, or sometimes accurate, but ugly information. Um, so I think that's how the candidates are able to separate themselves. And if it's an LLC, it's just, you know, if they want, if somebody wants to sue it for libel, they get to disappear, which I think is a little bit of a problem in our, in our election process. Wow, Davis Rankin, your your question. Uh, I'm sorry, I was having some technical problems. Um, what I guess what your your podcast, the truth will set you free. What truth are you referring to? And what's the name of your? Is you just have the one podcast? I've got Truth Will Set You Free and Blunt Force Discussion. Truth Will Set You Free is okay. more about we try to find news stories that people have questions on. Like, well, is this really true? Like. Did Kanye yeah. really say this, or uh, did <laughs> Biden really make these claims? And we kind of dissect it that way. Okay. Blood Force discussion is a one-on-one -on -one conversation, more of a Joe Rogan-style podcast uh, that you're, that we talk about anything from business to politics. You're not Anthony Hootie Russo. No, there's an Anthony Hootie Russo. Hootie is, but he sounds like a cool guy. <laughs> I like that middle name. I don't know. I don't Can know. Can I apologize uh, for my co-host? These are perfectly fine <laughs> questions. Somebody searches for his podcast. They're going to run into Anthony Hootie Russo, oh. and they're going to say, those really? guys didn't tell him he had a nickname. Oh, so Lord. Uh, now do you think our politics it. is getting worse or better or the same? Say that one more time. You think our politics is getting worse or better or the same? Um, I, th I mean, I think everything is getting worse, to be totally honest. Yeah. Oh, here's I Anthony agree. Hootie Russo. Weird. Sorry, <laughs> I have to look it up while you're saying that. I do think politics. is that even from like <laughs> modern pop culture, Davis? Is that even, or is that from like it's your just, era? What's that, Hootie? Yes. Uh, well, there's Hootie and the Blowfish, but that's the only Hootie I know. Oh, okay. But, but well, the hey, uh, uh, Anthony where can we find Bruce, where can where can we find the podcast, Anthony? Apple. Well, don't look up Anthony Hootie Russo because that's uh, <laughs> I guess a fake gangster, but it looks fun. Now I got to watch his YouTube. But anyways. Uh, 
You can find it on Truth Will Save Free USA Instagram and then Truth Will Save Free across the board on all the major platforms. Same with Blood Force Discussion. Yeah. Uh, that's on Instagram and, of course, all the podcast networks. Yes. Do I'll not do it. not encourage my my co-host to run off the I've, to run off the field like he usually I've, does. That's I think our Anthony guest has performed him. mightily. He's done a great job. <laughs> Anthony Russo is the host of the Truth Will Set You Free podcast, and he is an outstanding sport for putting up with us here today on News Talk Seven Ten KURV. This is your nine five six drive home. You're listening to an encore presentation of the 956 Drive Home on News Talk 710 KURV and KURV.com. Start your day with news and interviews important to you with the Valley's morning news. Weekday morning starting at 6. Sergio Sanchez and Tim Sullivan bring you the latest headlines and hourly discussions with AccuWeather to get you ready for your day. And special guest interviews on topics that affect you and your family. Good morning. Good morning, gentlemen. Yeah, good morning, guys. Well, let's now enjoy the show. It's what you need to start your day. The Valley's morning news with Sergio Sanchez and Tim Sullivan. Weekday morning starting at 6 on News Talk 710 KURV. This is an encore presentation of the 956 Drive Home on News Talk 710 KURV and KURV.com. Here's Zach. An interesting discussion we had on Friday as we were at the cusp of daylight savings time. Now that day has come and gone and we have to ask about some of the health implications of messing with everybody's sleep schedule. Mm-hmm. Joining us on 710-KURV, Dr. Fami Farah, Director of Bentley Health in Fort Worth. She's a cardiologist, and she joins us now. Uh, as far as, wh- or what's the link between messing with somebody's sleep schedule and having heart attacks? What's the relationship between sleep and the heart? Uh, there is a, a strong correlation with sleep and heart. Um, the American Heart Association has recently added sleep disturbance as uh, a risk factor for cardiovascular disease, uh, just like, you know, high blood pressure, high cholesterol, diabetes, they increase our risk of having a heart attack, stroke, and just all sorts of cardiovascular diseases. Uh, sleep is now one of them. So getting adequate amount of sleep and quality sleep is very important for your overall health and specifically your heart health. In uh, becoming healthier people, getting getting some of that extra sleep, um, do we have, it, it's, it's not a problem, or I should, let me rephrase that. Getting the proper amount of sleep, is is it like where you can, you know, sleep five hours one day and then get the eight hours rest the next day and you'll be okay? Or is this a habitual thing that needs to be practiced over a, an extended period of time? It really comes down to it being a habitual thing. Uh, that nighttime sleep uh, is what's important and you really do on average need to get between six to eight hours of sleep a night. That's what we recommend. I guess napping doesn't help bridge the gaps either, right? (laughs) Well, napping is good if you can get that, um, you know, if you're tired and all. But uh, no, we're really talking about that duration of sleep at night, um, that restful sleep in in -in all-in-one setting. Mm Dr. Fami Farah, director of Bentley Heart in Fort Worth, joins us now. She's a cardiologist, or guest on your 956 Drive Home. So when it comes to uh, all of the different types of things that can go wrong with your heart after not getting enough sleep and daylight savings time being one of those big factors around this time we get more car accidents and people are you know sleep deprived out there driving and what are some of the what are some of the, the things that can go wrong after that? Yeah. You know, in the big scheme of things, uh, one hour of sleep 
change shouldn't really cause that big of a difference. But initially, whenever we go through that time change, it does and can disrupt sleep for many people. Um, Not so much when we gain the hour in the fall, but it really becomes an issue during springtime Mm -hmm. when we lose that one hour. And that change in in general, anytime we go through a change, it's stressful, right? We have to readjust our everything. And so that stress can also impact sleep as well. So yes, it can um, disrupt your sleep, especially those with existing sleep disorders like sleep apnea or, or just like, you know, they just can't sleep insomnia and like that. They can really get thrown off with this even as little as one hour change. We have something called a circadian rhythm, which is our biological clock. Mm-hmm. And most of us are very used to that. And our biological clock, uh, the circadian rhythm, if that gets disrupted with that um, hour change, time change, it can throw us off with our sleep and we can uh, get lack of sleep as a result. Very similar concept to when we travel, when we go to a different country and that time change, how it affects our sleep. Similar thing. Davis Rankin, your question for Dr. Farah. Yeah, two questions about the same thing, really. Uh, I don't know if they still do it, but they used to, police officers used to uh, rotate their shifts so that you you weren't on overnights all the time. Um, And the training of physicians, uh, the brutal training of physicians where you go sleep deprived for forever. Um, Is there any serious thought about revising the way doctors are trained and also moving away from the shift thing from police because a certain percentage of those cops are not ever going to adjust. They're always going to be not essentially not ready. Excellent question, man. You, you said something that we all, (laughs) all physicians hope that they do revise that because you're absolutely correct. Physicians are probably some of the most, most sleep deprived people and talk about cardiologists. When it comes to cardiologists, we are probably the most sleep deprived. <laughs> um, so yes, it'd be really nice if somebody somewhere revised that schedule and helped us out there. That would be so nice. Um, but you know, overall, when it comes to physician training, um, they have made some improvements and changes over the years. For example, in the past, like they really didn't have any hour limit for resident physicians yeah. or, or, or fellows like who are in training. But they have changed that in the course of the last five years. Years, uh, they have now limited those hours to 72 hours. Like it used to be 72, but now it's like in a 24-hour period. They have to have some rest. Before it used to be 72 hours. Imagine that, no yeah. sleep, just going straight for 72 hours. That's pretty inhumane. What is so that? Four days? Three days? 24, three days. That's right. So you could. I want that um, brain surgeon with uh, no sleep for three days. That's my guy right there. Right. So before there was no protection for these. Uh, doctors and training, but now at least they have a cap of 24 hours, which is still a lot in my opinion, you know, like if you're really working intensely and 24 hours of no break, that's not good for anybody. Um, Certainly not good for those physicians who are, you know, we're we're humans too, and our health matters too, but not many people think about that. (laughs) Yeah. I can't, I can't imagine being told, like if I work at a Starbucks, like you're going to close at 11, 1130, and then you're going to wake up at 3.30 AM so you can open up at four at a Starbucks. (laughs) That's the radio business right there. (laughs) Yeah, I know. That happens to us too. It's kind of like an expectation, you know, like if you're a physician, like that's just an expectation. You can't complain about it. So I, I, that's because the old farts who run everything, right? Isn't that the old the old guys? Isn't that because the old guys who are running medicine or medical training? Well, I did it, and 
you know, I'm, I'm dramatizing yeah, the question, yeah, it, but a lot of it is, it does have to do with culture. There needs to be a shift in that, that mindset, that culture. You're absolutely right. Some of the, uh, you know, older generation physicians, they did it. They went through like a really hard core training mm-hmm. and practice, yeah. which, you know, my goodness, they were like the heroes and, but, but, you know, like, I don't think it needs to be that way. I, I think that everybody needs to be mindful that we are humans, regardless of what profession we're in. Yes, we're physicians, but we are made up the same thing, you know, so it's, our endurance is not going to be much different from anybody else. So I, I do feel strongly about the working hours and the break time for physicians. I completely agree that it needs to change. Yeah, I, I'm with you on that one, especially in there are plenty of different job occupations that have to deal with stuff like that. Dr. Fami Farah is a director, is the director at Bentley Heart in Fort Worth. She's a cardiologist. She joins us now. We're talking about daylight savings time and uh, heart attacks and just the relationship on the heart in general. Now, this goes hand in hand with the use of substances like caffeine being one of the big main culprits and or you'll see somebody walk in with a red bull or a monster or something like that 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 just makes the problem worse right there's no real substitute for getting your full night's rest correct absolutely uh it only adds to the problem uh you know you're you're right people who have demanding jobs they're not getting the sleep but they are required to stay up to get the job done how do they do that they turn to things like substance abuse uh, or like, you know, caffeine drinks, energy drinks, and they can have a very detrimental impact on your health, especially your heart health. People can have arrhythmia as a result of that, you know, different types of substance like medications like Adderall or uh, there's just so many things that people turn to and they can have a very negative impact on your overall health uh, as well as increasing the risk of your cardiovascular disease. Hmm. Is there any way... Is is that damage reversible or is it pretty much a done deal after it happens? It, it really depends. Uh, it's very much individualized. We see it in all um, spectrum, uh, you know, people who, for example, would choose cocaine. People who use cocaine, uh, they are at very high risk of having a heart attack. We even see mm-hmm. people in their 20s coming in with massive heart attack wow. after having taken cocaine. And sometimes it's reversible if they come in on time and we treat it. Uh, a lot of times it is reversible, but there are times when it's not. I've seen it both go both ways. The advice would be, of course, to abstain from usage of such substances. And moreover, if whether substance-related or not, if you're having an adverse event or a cardiac event like a heart attack or any kind of symptom, the major advice here is to seek help in a timely manner. When it comes to heart, time is life. You know, like if you mm. come in in a timely manner, more than likely we can save you. More than likely we can reverse the damage. Thanks a lot for your help here today. Thank you. Dr. Farah. That's Dr. Fami Farah, Director of Bentley Heart in Fort Worth, joining us on News Talk 710 KURV. You're listening to an encore presentation of the 956 Drive Home on News Talk 710 KURV and KURV.com. You're always on the go. Obviously pretty busy. Busy with work. Picking up my kids from school. From work to kids to running errands, your entire day is a hands-on, never-ending frenzy of activity. Luckily, getting the news is now voice activated. Just say, Alexa, play 710-KURB. I'd like to know what's going on in my world. I gotta know what's going on in my city. Putting the smart in your smart speaker. I'm getting my news from you and my information. For the latest news and to find out what's happening in rich, clear audio, just say, Alexa, play 710 KURB. 
As long as you're scrolling through your phone, checking out your friend's latest Instagram post, take a moment to download the Radio Potomy app. Take the app with you wherever you are and whatever you're doing. Stay updated with top and bottom of the hour news and the latest weather forecast. Plus, you can listen live to local talk shows, nationally syndicated programs, and listen to previous interviews you might have missed, all in crystal clear digital audio. It's called the Radiopotomy app. Find it in your Google Play or Apple App Store from your friends at News Talk 710 KURV.